In this episode of Seafood Matters podcast, we've been joined by Robert Elwood, who's a British professor in animal behaviour in the School of Biological Sciences at Queen's University Belfast in Northern Ireland. Robert has received several awards for his contributions to the fields of animal behaviour and welfare, including the 2021 Animal Welfare Award from the University Federation of Animal Welfare. Best known for his research into the pain suffered by crustaceans, like crabs and lobsters, Robert claims these life forms can experience pain and suffering, and he is an advocate for the welfare of these animals in commercial fishing. So Robert, I'd like to ask you, what inspired you to begin studying pain in crustaceans? Well, I remember the situation. I, I had been studying crustaceans for many years, and uh, mostly in relation to how they fight for resources. And uh, I was in my local pub in Northern Ireland. Uh, we were having dinner on a Friday night, my wife and I. And uh, who should be there but the, the famous seafood chef, Rick Stein. So we were both standing at the bar and I thought I would tease him a bit. And I said, no, I, 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 we, we, we have something in common, uh, that is crustaceans. I study their behavior and you cook them. And he just looked at me and said, do they feel pain? And so we discussed what pain was for a little while and how it, uh, it can, can be beneficial to animals to, to experience pain, what it, what it did for the life of the animals and how it enhanced fitness. And then he was called for dinner and I was called for dinner and we, we didn't speak again. And, uh, but I thought this was a silly question at first. Because there, it, you cannot actually prove if an animal feels pain. So I thought, why, why would I get into an area of work where there could be no firm conclusion? Uh, and uh, so I, I, I swung one way or another about this question. But when I read the literature, uh, the literature was very consistent in, in, in opinion rather than fact, but opinion was that these animals didn't experience pain because they only responded by reflexes. It was a simple reflex and it didn't involve the central nervous system, so you couldn't generate a, an internal feeling. So I thought to myself, well, I might not be able to really answer the question about pain, but I can tackle the reflex question. Do they respond only by reflexes? And uh, that, that was much easier. And I have to say to my surprise, uh, they, they did not uh, respond purely by reflexes. It's interesting listening to you. And it takes me back in my own years because I'm in my seventies now, and uh, I'm, I'm a wee bit surprised in your answer, but not, but might be because of my ignorance. But even as a child, and going to see, as we did after school or during school holidays, and that, so that's gone back sixty, fifty, over fifty, sixty years. And it was, my father used to make it clear to me how lobster and crab, show, and he sh would show me how they did feel pain and how to, to w cover that. Things like, you know, how they, if they, if they do feel the pain or, or, or if they're attacked, they'll, they'll drop a claw or a leg. And obviously, a fisherman is not wanting that to happen as he loses the value. So they used to be very conscious of avoiding the animals feeling pain. Well, philosophers have dealt with this, and scientists have dealt with this, and sometimes they've dealt with it together. And the conclusion is, even those who work in animal welfare will, will accept that you cannot prove pain in any animal. You have difficulty proving pain 
in a human, you can ask the human and the human can tell you something, but can you be absolutely 100% sure that the human is telling the truth? Or are they underplaying the pain or are they exaggerating? Uh, can, can you prove pain in a pre-verbal child? And all, all these things are very difficult. And so in science, you, you need uh, not, not to ask a question that you just cannot answer, but you can ask questions about the excuse normally given by, by those that uh, pontificate on this about why they, 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 they have the opinion that they don't feel pain. Do you, know, do you know how old you said it's a philosopher's work, scientists, uh, during my research, I discovered that as far back as the 4th century BC, the philosopher Pythagoras, the Greek philosopher, because he believed in the transmigration of souls, he believed that shellfish could feel pain. But then a hundred years later, Aristotle came along and he maintained that they weren't able to feel pain or suffering because they didn't have a centralised nervous system. And I think that this centralised nervous system is central to everything you're doing. What I'd like to ask you is, um, you're saying it's hard, it's impossible to prove pain because it's exceptionally subjective, as in, if my seven-year-old son hurts his finger and starts screaming, that the actual response of the animal or the mammal isn't a way to gauge pain always. For example, the fisherman my dad just said there would show how a crab lost its claw if it was attacked. Well, that's fine, but is that an, is that a defence response rather than a pain response? Can I ask you why you choose the word sentience? Why sentience and not pain? What, why is the word sentience used in this so often in these studies? How can you correlate pain that's unprovable with sentience? Sentience is normally defined as the capacity to have feelings. And pain is a feeling. So pain is uh, a subset of sentience, if you like. And uh, I've concentrated on pain, but it would be good for people in in animal welfare studies to, to look at pleasure as well, uh, to, to see whether animals are in very good conditions, are if they are content with their conditions. Pain, pain is a subset of sentience. That's, that's how I view it. Okay, brilliant. So if pain is a subset of sentience, <clears throat> before we move into your actual experimentation and how you came to the conclusions you came to, can you tell me how you before an experiment begins, how you actually set the controls in place. How do you, what I suppose I'm trying to ask is, if you can observe pain in an animal, you should be able to observe the opposite response, which is pleasure. Have you got controls in place to test for, say, you're giving the animals pain and you see a response, but are you giving them pleasure? Are you you using any counter tests to try and get a control? How do you set your controls when measuring sentience in animals? In, in the sorts of experiments that I, I, I was concentrating on, I, di- I didn't look at pleasure. With, with a control in an experiment would where you, you would present a noxious stimulus to one group of animals, and in the other, the control group, uh, they, they would not have the noxious stimulus, but everything else would be the same. So um, in, in the first experiment I did, it... it developed in complexity, but that that used glass prawns. You can find them on the beach. I've tended to use animals that could be easily collected on on the shore and and are cheap, rather than using lobsters, which are uh, difficult and too too big, frankly, for the laboratory. So with with glass prawns, I I was asking, how would they respond to a chemical that we know uh, gives pain to humans it gets a strong response and, and gets and, and is commonly used in in studies on analgesia these are drug studies so you can give the animal uh, this this chemical like acetic acid and then you see whether another chemical can ameliorate any any responses to that 
So I used acetic acid and I used uh, sodium hydroxide. Both of these are noxious chemicals. And we brushed, just kept, gent took the animal out of, out of the water, took one antenna and just brushed that with one of the chemicals. Or as a control, we brushed it with seawater. So all the animals were brushed, but they were being brushed with different things. Then the animal was placed back into a tank and we looked at the responses. And were there responses directed towards the one antenna that we'd brushed? And uh, with uh, seawater, the animal didn't bother with that antenna. Well, yeah. With, with 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 those that had the noxious chemical, they they did two things. One was to groom using their small pincers on on their on their front legs, and repeatedly pull the antenna through uh, through those pincers, and and they alternated that with rubbing that antenna against the side of the tank, uh, pushing it against the side of the tank, and, and moving it along. And that was towards the antenna that had brushed. So, so we knew it was directed to the site of, of the noxious stimulus. But the experiment had another aspect to it in that prior to those tests, we either just brushed the, the antenna with seawater, this is another control, or we brushed that, that antenna with um, a local anesthetic. And those that have been brushed with a local anesthetic directed less activity towards that antenna subsequently uh, that, than those that had, had, had not had the local anesthetic. So, so th there were several aspects to, to that experiment. We showed that uh, they could direct attention specifically to the, the antenna. It was caused by chemicals that typically cause pain in humans, uh, we, we could suppress that with a, a known local anaesthetic and, 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 and the, the behaviour went on for too long and it was too complex to be considered uh, a reflex. And, and that was the main aim that I was, I was, well, not the main aim, but it was the main finding. Was it only glass bronze you tested on? Because and you'll you'll know the paper. A two thousand and three, Doctor Evans et al. discovered that acetic acid applied to muscles, to wild muscles, they had no pain response. So is this particularly to prawn and metthrop, or is it to crustaceans at large? What if, what's uh, been you, tested? Did 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 you, did you say they'd been tested on muscles? Uh, yeah, in two thousand three, Evans concluded that acetic acid applied to muscles had uh, no pain response whatsoever. Which the reasons for yeah. we can get into, but but so what actual well, crustaceans show this response that you've suggested? We need to be clear that muscles are not crustaceans; they're, they're mollusks. Okay. Uh, yeah. So they don't so, show the so, same response. I, I had I did did a very similar experiment uh, with shore crabs and brushed acetic acid either onto the eye or onto the mouth parts. Well, that activity was was generated to the specific eye, not the alternative eye. And if it was the mouth parts, then they rubbed and scratched at, at, at the mouth parts. So. Uh, it, it's 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 more than one animal, but I, I I'll have to say that somebody in the USA did something similar, apparently, and didn't find uh, responses. It, they didn't use the same acid. They they were using an acid um, that they they use hydrochloric acid. I'm I'm surprised they didn't find any responses, but he's reported that and. Uh, but I, I, I have done that on, on two species and found um, very consistent. So uh, if, if that other test, if the other group of scientists found no response using hydrochloric acid, might that suggest that 
Perhaps the animals, while they're being tested, the stress res pain response has been induced by the stress of actually being tested. And maybe his test environment was different and didn't show that. Can I ask you how you can possibly apply wires to crabs and rub them with uh, different acids without instigating a stress in response to the actual test rather than the mechanisms of the test later? When we bring animals into the laboratory from, from, from the wild, they, they are undoubtedly stressed to some extent. We, we try to minimize that. We try to keep them and house them in good conditions in the laboratory. Uh, but all the animals are kept in the same way. Then, then they are selected at random, either to get the noxious stimulus or not. And uh, if, if we find a difference in, 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 in those two conditions, it's, it's due to those two conditions. It's due to the noxious stimulus. Uh, the overall responses could, could be influenced by stress or being in the environment, but the differences we find within the experiment are, are due to the experimental conditions. So that, 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 that is standard experimental protocol. I would say, Bob, uh, I could relate to what you're saying about the test, in, and there would be stressed anyway, even ourselves. If we go along to a hospital to get our blood pressure checked, the first thing the nurse that's giving you the test says, well, it'll be higher just now, the fact, just the fact that you're getting a test. It'll be higher than normal. Yeah, they, they, they call it a white coat reading. Yeah, I didn't like to use white coat reading because we're talking about crustaceans, and that's no, generally. I, I, I was talking about blood pressure tests, but yeah, the, the, I mean, the, there were lots of experiments that, that we conducted in my lab. Uh, that one with acetic acid was the first experiment that we did, and, and then we looked at uh, other ways of asking, well, what would you Predictive pain. What what is pain for? Uh, we we all have reflexes. We we have what we call nociception. So if you touch your hand on, on, on a hot iron accidentally, you move your hand very quickly. And in fact, you move your hand so quickly because it employs uh, there are very fast nerves uh, causing the reflex. And the nerves going to the brain are somewhat slower. And you actually move your hand before the brain gets any information that you've touched your hand on, on a hot plate. You, you may subsequently feel pain, but you do not move your hand because of the pain. You move your hand before that by the reflex. So we have these two things. So you have to wonder, well, if, if you're going to stop this stimulus by moving your hand, why, why bother to have pain? What, what is the use of pain? And the, the, un, the, the answer seemed to be that it should promote uh, safety in the future, that animals should not go and repeat the, the same. If they had no awareness, they could go and do it again and get more tissue damage. So are you saying pain provides evolutionary advantage to animals? It, it, it can uh, provide a huge advantage in that it can stop them repeating. It can benefit them by taking protective measures. So you see limping, uh, that sort of less weight going on a leg, decreased use of certain parts of the body to help, uh, to help repair. Um, you, you see a number of things. So I, I did a... a, a a very simple experiment. I, I keep saying I, but I should say I and my students, uh, my postgraduate students, did, uh, did, did most of these experiments. Uh, we use shore crabs, and shore crabs uh, hide when, when it's light. They, they hide in little dark crevices. And so using that observation... I brought shore crabs in and put them into a brightly lit arena, put them in the middle of a brightly lit arena, and at either end of the arena were, were dark shelters. And, yeah, exactly the same. Um, 
the shelters were the same, but there were little visual, uh, there, there were lines to, for, to act as visual cues, um, which, which I have to say the crabs didn't use, um, we found out. But we put the crab in there and allowed it to choose a shelter. We, we, we didn't have, have, have any, any, any idea which shelter it was going to go into, but we had pre-selected the crab to receive an electric shock on, on, on the leg, either in the first shelter it went into or if it on a subsequent test, if it went into the other shelter, it had an electric shock in there. So each crab had a, a shock shelter and a safe shelter. And uh, we determined whether it would be shocked or not in its first choice. We then put the crab... Uh, Oh, we repeated the shock every five seconds as long as it stayed in that shelter and some got out of the shelter if they were shot, never if they weren't shot. So they gave up this valuable resource if they received a shock. Then two minutes later, we took the crab out. We put it back in the middle and asked, which one are you going to go for? Are you going to go back to your original shelter or to the alternative shelter? And if they'd been shot, there was no effect. Uh, there was no effect of, of having been shot or not on, on the choice of shelter in the second test. So we went through that test. And in a third test, two minutes later, put the crab back in the middle. And now those that were shot were more likely to switch to the alternative shelter. What, what crabs did initially is on the second test, they almost all went back to their original choice of shelter. They seem to have suddenly made a huge preference for the one they'd used before. So the shock, the effect of the shock was having to overcome this preference. And now those crabs avoided that shelter. Uh, and, and they instead, when they were put in the middle, walked to the alternative shelter in, in, in which they didn't get shot. And, and then they stayed in that shelter for the whole two minutes, as I say. No crab ever got out unless they were shocked. So they, they do, do like to be in the dark. If you like. How many shocks did it take the crabs to become aware that this is the preferential shelter? What, what, what we found was that sort of on the third trial, so they've been shocked twice before, two times. And then when we put them in on the third go, they... they the previous shocks changed their behaviour. So two, two, just two trials changed their be behaviour in the third trial. Are you suggesting that crustaceans have memory? And if not, how else would they be able to, to learn shock bad? Crustaceans could learn. I mean, uh, there have been lots of learning experiments done on crustaceans. Uh, there's... Nothing special about that. I mean, virtually all animals can learn. Um, some, how they learn different tasks varies. Some, some, some cannot do certain tasks, but, but all animals pretty well can, can manage some learning tasks. So your research is actually showing that crustaceans, which have been often regarded in the same category as bugs and flies and fleas where we don't attribute welfare to crustaceans the same way as we do to cows and pigs and chickens you're, su you're suggesting that we might need to up up the grading if you like of crustaceans and perhaps treat them with more animal welfare in mind is that something that you're involved in in, in the past i've i've tried to duck out of what we should do with these findings. I, I'm, I used to say, well, I'm a scientist. I, I just do science. Pe people who make policy uh, ha have a different mindset. But what, what I did, did, did go on to say uh, on a number of times later in my career was that we've done lots of experiments and other people started doing experiments. And again and again, we find the results are consistent with the idea of pain. No, no experiment by itself proves pain, but they we get again and again results that are consistent with the idea of pain. 
And you start to question then, well, I can't prove pain, but it looks as if they feel pain. All the data are consistent with that idea. If that's the case, then perhaps there should be some uh, protection. Perhaps we shouldn't uh, treat these animals in, in, in ways that are, are, are extreme. Uh, and, and that would apply both in science, in scientific experimentation, and also uh, in, in, in the food chain. So what I should ask you then is regarding the food chain and commercial fishing, you know, traditionally to euthanize crabs, fishermen and chefs, you know, plunge alls or knives into the ganglia. They destroy the central nervous system. And lobsters, chefs think that freezing them or drowning them in fresh water before they boil them is the best thing to do. Whereas most modern sciences show that electrocuting lobsters before boiling them is the right thing to do. Can I ask you how you suggest a commercial crab industry might change in the way it deals with crabs in sight of what you are finding regarding sentience? Right. If, if you wanted to reduce the possibility of, uh, of suffering in these animals, then I would, my first choice would be uh, electro-stunning. But these, these devices are, are, are not cheap. Um, and they're only suitable for commercial premises where, where, where you can get a, 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 lot of, a lot of use out of them in terms of dispatching very large numbers of animals in, in a human, humane fashion. When it comes to uh, how someone might get a live crab or a live lobster and, and treat that, I, I, I think most people um, probably still today, we'll, we'll put them in boiling water without trying to destroy the nervous system. Uh, if, if you're confident that you know where the nervous system is and you've got a, a sharp knife, a large sharp knife, then I would say split the animal longitudinally and dispatch it before you boil it. Um, but I, I do worry that... Uh, someone trying this for the first time uh, might might not have a, a, any idea. And I, I think dispatching uh, a lobster with a sharp knife is easier than dispatching a, a crab with a sharp knife. But there are ways of doing it with crabs um, with, with, with almost like a screwdriver uh, and all. I, I, com I completely agree with everything you're saying, Bob, and it's fascinating in a way that it takes me back almost through my life because obviously being a fisherman's son and been working all my days with, with fishermen, it's, it's uh, you could look at a nature program on the junk in the Africa and and look at the way lions and tigers and all the wild animals behave and so territorial but really the under the water crabs and lobsters are exactly the same they're very territorial and they would fight no a young male would would fight to keep his territory and things and uh, so you know, it's almost like you're, you're. I'm listening to you, and it's almost bringing my past life back to me. I can, I can really, I can relate to everything you're saying. <laughs> there, there are, there are some procedures that used to be used in fishing, and I don't know whether they still are. But at one stage, they were banned, and and, and then the ban was rescinded, and that is taking claws off of live crabs, and then throwing the body of the crab, uh, which is alive, back into the sea. And uh, that's illegal we, we, in this country. That, that's illegal now, is it? Yeah. Well, Ireland too? Uh, is, it, is it illegal I, in Ireland I'm, as well? I'm not sure, but certainly right. in, this, in, in, this, in the UK, it's illegal. In the UK, yeah. Well, in Northern Ireland, where, where I, I, I used to work, um, it, it, it was a practice at one stage, and, and then it was stopped. But 
that is a, an extreme behavior. And there are fisheries in, in the USA, the, the stone crab fishery. They still take claws, but it, it, it really is a, a very severe process to be used. And, and again, in the, yeah. and in, in the USA, I have seen a, a video film of lobster processing plants where the living animal is just dismembered. And, and then the, the, the claws are pulled off, then, then the walking legs are, are clipped off, and then the animal is, is placed on a, on a spike to extract the, uh, the, 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 the tail meat. And, and no attempt to kill the animal as, as the first move. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's, it's very rare in the food processing industry that animals are butchered without previously being killed. Are there commercial electrocution systems available to the fishing industry, to huge shellfish producers? Do they have them yet? Are they on the market? Uh, my understanding is that there are two types of uh, stunner available. One is uh, it, it will take one animal at a time, possibly two, suitable for a restaurant uh, where animals can be uh, prepared to, to order. And, and another one where it's a sort of throughput system uh, which has, has a far higher capacity, more expensive, but far higher capacity. Well, it's associated with pain and feeling that if you, if, if you are going to subject them to something that's out with their natural habitat, thinking it's pain, it's going to stress them, and, and that's going to affect the meat. I remember in my younger days, I worked in a for some years in a slaughterhouse, and it was the exact same with animals. If they were stressed, you could tell it on the meat. And it's the exact same I'm, with crustaceans. I've, I've heard that with cattle, cattle and, and, and pigs, that um, high degree of stress can alter the, the taste of the meat. I don't know of any uh, tests that have been done with crustaceans to see whether uh, stressing the animal or not changes the quality of the meat. Um, I well, I, I I often felt it approved in my restaurant that it certainly does work, happen with lobster, and the meat that there's a different texture to the meat. It's completely different. Yeah, it's the adrenaline we're talking about, and the adrenal gland goes upon the moment of dispatch. It releases adrenaline into the meat, which creates that rigor mortis. Now, in China, we well, eat ten million dogs a year. They blowtorch a lot of those dogs before killing them to raise the adrenaline in the meat to alter the taste. These hyper-stress the animals because they believe the raised anxiety before death does something to, in most, in most cases, it degrades the taste and the texture of the animal, but in that instance, it actually amplifies it. So maybe the question we could ask you there, Robert, is can you actually, while... Traditionally, people thought that shelp crustaceans have more of a nerve network with um, individuated response systems, and now you're suggesting they have a central nervous system in the way they respond. Is there any way to monitor, monitor the adrenaline in crustaceans? Do they hold adrenaline glands or not? What crabs have, they, they have different hormones to those of vertebrates. And if you stress a crab, it produces uh, a hormone called crustacean hyperglycemic hormone, which uh, mobilizes glycogen to glucose, so there's more energy available for action, should they wish. But there are, there are other uh, neurohormones which are changed. Uh, there's something called serotonin, uh, typically increases in stress and... and, and that changes the behaviour of the of the crab. Uh, well, well, when when serotonin increases during fights, uh, an animal with with very high serotonin is likely to give up. And if if you shock an animal, uh, electric shock, um, serotonin goes up. And serotonin, uh, if you inject a a, a crayfish. This, this was work in France, not my own work. But this person found that um, if you stress a crayfish by, by giving it 
small electric shocks over a period, it then shows what we call anxiety. The crayfish is less likely to take risks. Uh, and if you don't shock it, so you have normal crayfish, and you inject it with serotonin, again, it is less likely to take risks. And quite bizarrely, if you give those animals uh, an anti-anxiolytic drug uh, of the type that's prescribed to humans that show high anxiety, it reduces anxiety in crayfish. So the basic mechanism for anxiety must be conserved in, 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 in two different phyla, you know, the, the, the crustaceans and, and, and well, and, 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 and in mammals. You've almost contradicted the very first question we asked. I asked if you'd ever tested animals for pleasure, if you, and I suppose giving it an anti-anxiety drug is associated with pleasure. You're seeing the opposite response from anxiety when you give it the anti-anxiety chemical. Yeah, yeah. well, well that, that, that experiment I described was done in France, and uh, I, I, I didn't have a role in it. Um, it it's just... An, an example of, of, of the surprising things you can find when you start to investigate uh, animals that we had assumed had, had no, no real feelings. Um, and these are almost like human fight and flight responses. You're saying withdrawal from negative stimulus and attraction towards positive fight or flight, which again supports the idea that they're sentient. Jim. In, in the northeast coast of Scotland, there's a huge crab industry, lots of crabbers land. What, what method do they catch them, and, and how, are they, how are the crabs when they come ashore before they go to processing? How are they dealt with at sea, or are they landed live? No, they're all, or they're all landed live, and they're all creel caught. There's no other method of fishing for any crab or lobster. Yes, yeah, there's some creel caught langoustines or nephrops, whichever but uh, there's a trawling industry with them as well but crab and lobster is 100% creel caught mm -hmm. And do those crabs have the claws when they're landed or are they declawed like in North America? Oh, never declawed they don't want, the, I mean that's what the value's in having the whole animal uh, See how a shellfish develops an awful poison even after two or three hours after being killed. So are all the are dead crabs land are thrown back to sea or are they landed? How how are they landed? Are they all live? Everything's live. If it was, if it's dead, it would be just kept them aside and and it wouldn't be thrown back. It would be landed, but not not to market. It would be dumped. The reason I ask this is, look, based on what Robert said earlier, if crabs, yeah, crabs are um, susceptible to not just pain but anxiety, you know, the way we transport crabs just now in one-ton bins where they're all just there mashed on top of each other and they can go quite some distances before they're sold. How are modern transport methods accounting for, you know, welfare of shellfish? Well, if you take a refrigerated container, a lorry would be pulling, and it's all sectioned into tanks. There'll be about twenty tanks in a container, and there's and the 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 fridge motor is connected with water pumps, and it flushes right through the whole system. So they take on water. Just say they're in Scrabster. They, t they pump water on board onto the and put it down to flush it through all the tanks, and they get it down to the same temperature that the crabs that the the water that the crabs have been caught in. So 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 that doesn't because another way of stressing them would be to take them out of uh, water at say eight degrees and put them into a tank ashore at 15 to 20, well, that's immediately stressing or killing them. So, is that salt, salt water, is it? Seawater. It's pumped oh, from yeah. the sea and okay. taken to the temperature. And, and all any fishing boat uh, at the crab and lobster, 
you could, it could if you called them at any time, they would tell you what the sea temperature is where they're fishing. So it's well controlled. And, and that way, with this water as well, it's keeping it at the same temperature as, as they've been used to in their own natural habitat, but it's also not the weight pressing on them. How do you think that sounds, Robert? Do you think that's looking after the welfare of crabs? It, it is to a certain extent, but uh, one thing that can happen with lobsters is the claws abound, so the animal cannot open the claws, and this reduces any damage in, in fighting. Uh, now, my understanding is that a lobster may remain in, in captivity with, with the claws bound for a week, possibly more, uh, and and you see them in, in restaurants, uh, in tanks in restaurants, and I, I don't know how long they stayed there, don't know how long it took to get them there. But I, I have wondered how having the claws bound uh, affects the animal in terms of stress. Uh, I've, I've not done any uh, work on that, but it, but it is something that has crossed my mind, whether uh, work should be done uh, to, to look at uh, stress levels in animals that are free to move their claws and those that are, 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 are force closed. If I could comment there, Bob, I am 100% with you there still. And being a chef, I have dealt with them. Been, and as I've seen, I've been in the fishing industry and for all the experience I've had with crabs in different ways, if I walk into a restaurant and they have a tank with lobsters in it, I would walk back out. I would walk back out. I couldn't stand it. It's, it's barbaric. Do you prefer they were in the fridge in the kitchen so you don't get to see them? Well, my rule of thumb used to be when I had the I was a chef in a in a restaurant, and my rule of thumb is deal with them as they come in. Don't have them lying in a fridge. Not saying we have to buy into everything Professor Jordan Peterson says, but he does make a strong point. The lobster has the oldest hierarchy on the planet. The history of the lobster and the way it defends holes and the way the smaller lobsters respond to it as the alpha lobster, if you like, extends further back in history than any other life form. And even if you look at the way prehistoric caves operated where the tallest, strongest, resource, most resourceful man ran the cave, if you bound the key weapon or tool of defense of a lobster, it would be like tying the hands together of the leader of a cave. He's going to be depowered, he's going to act differently, and he's going to withdraw from leading the family or the group of lobsters. I think it's a, it would be a fascinating test to do, but I think the results are quite predictable. I think you're going to see a huge anxiety and withdrawal response from a banded lobster. Well, uh, I'm not into predicting results uh, before we got the data, but it's something that a scientist shouldn't really do. You can wonder which way they will go perhaps, uh, but you should certainly in science ne never go to or seek to get a particular result. And I think predicting might lead to that. But uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. This is why I, I did ask the question, uh, what, what does this closure of the claws do to the animal? Uh, does it do anything or does it have an effect? And I think that should be examined. Uh, it, it may be that the you, you would be wrong, uh, and that there's no effect, in, in which case you'd, you'd be showing this is not uh, a disastrous technique to use uh, in, in, in the handling of live lobsters or crabs. But if, but if you did show it, then, then you might wonder how long should they be kept under such conditions? Should there be a limit? Um, uh, you can start asking questions about that. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I suppose the big question is right back at you. You're always coming up against this wall. And I suppose it is how do, as you said, how can you possibly prove pain? You know, when does high anxiety become pain? 
and you can only go so far as you you kind of distance yourself from telling us about the French scientists who inject cortisol into the animals because you can't just go doing everything to animals. You must have quite a strong ethical kind of um, environment to adhere to. How are your ethics regarding this and what you can actually test? And perhaps how does that change across Europe? Because you can be assured there's countries out there that don't have the same ethical standards as you do. What's your views on ethics? I have lots of views on ethics in diff- different animals, but uh, when I start, yeah, when I started uh, the work, when I was thinking of the sorts of things that one might do, uh, I found myself bizarrely thinking of how can I reliably and repeatedly do something nasty, present a noxious stimulus to crabs uh, or prawns. And, and, and it was an odd thing to do uh, to justify. Um, but the reason was, was we, we had no idea about the abilities of these animals in terms of feelings. And I might shed some light onto that. And the numbers I would use uh, were, were, were modest. You know, I, I might have 20 animals that were going to get a noxious experience, 20 animals that were not going to get a noxious experience. Uh, and and the the results, if if they turned out consistent with the idea of pain, then there might be some impact on on millions of animals in in the future in, in terms of better welfare. We're talking about ways of improving welfare, and and I think uh, the sorts of experiments that I did did have an effect on that. But on there are two aspects to ethics there there is a legal aspect and when i started i could do anything i liked to a live lobster legally because the government said they did not experience pain there were there was no rules or laws about what i could do as a scientist to these animals uh, there still are no rules uh, even though the government now has passed a law to accept that they are sentient. No laws have been changed about their use. But I was, at, I was at a recent meeting in which this was being discussed with, with the civil service who deal with the research in, in laboratory animals. And it, it is quite likely that in, in a two or three years' time uh, after consultation, there will be changes to how these animals are treated in, in laboratories. There'll be some sort of regulation and control. But I, I suspect uh, the thing that will change the fishing industry is not regulation. It will be self-regulation r- rather than any law changes. And that might be changed or driven by uh, consumer demand uh, where, where the, the consumers will, will start asking questions. If I'm buying a lobster from you, it, 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 how has that lobster been treated? How, how has it been killed? Or was it electrocuted if that becomes if, the standard? If, if, if that is. And, and, and we might start asking questions about how they should be dispatched, which, which we, we covered earlier. And you, you mentioned a couple of things that you can do or is often done. Uh, and that is to... Um, immerse the animal in, in fresh water, and there has been research, not not by myself, to show that that is extremely stressful uh, and not a humane way of dealing with, with crustaceans. The other one is to put it in a freezer for a while, and what putting it in a freezer does is you, you can't see the animal. So that's okay. You can't see it. You don't know. But I... I, I I've not seen any research on the effects, the physiological effects of being put in a freezer. Um, we, we object to putting it in boiling water. You can see what's going on there. Put it in the freezer. You can't see it. Out of mind, out of sight, out of mind uh, is the attitude. And I'm not condemning that as a, as a way forward. What I'm saying is it, it, it should be examined. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's my understanding, Bob, that 
as you mentioned there, fresh water, putting them in fresh water. Is it is my understanding that you put a crab and lobster in fresh water, the alive crab or lobster in fresh water, it is the same as putting as us humans going into a bath of acid. It burns. It burns it. It'll burn us. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know about that. What, 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 what will happen is, is the, the animal will take up water. Water will get into the body of the animal and change its physiology in a traumatic fashion. And it has been shown to be extremely stressful uh, in, in, in some experimental approaches. Mm-hmm. Again, not, not, not my own work. Um, Bob, as we come towards the end of our hour, there's a, there's a point you made in one of your papers, I don't recall which one, and it served to me as the greatest, the greatest evidence that crustaceans are sentient or feel pain and suffering. I'll, I'll tell you what the, the observation was and you can perhaps illustrate it. First of all, to find that giving a crab an electric shock and it prefers another shelter is one thing. But didn't you observe that if a shellfish was subjected to an electric shock and didn't have another shelter, it would actually prefer a more vulnerable environment to predation than the electric shelter? Can you tell me about that? Because that served to me as the greatest evidence where it would actually prefer to jeopardise its own life than take the pain. Well, that, that has cropped up in, in a... In a in in a couple of my experiments, but even in the one I, I described in the learning experiment, uh, no crab in that experiment got out of a shelter if it wasn't shocked. But a large number of them got out of a shelter if they were shot. And to do that, they're leaving somewhere that would otherwise be safe. It's, it's really what the animal is seeking. And it goes out into a brightly lit environment, which in, in the natural environment would be a very dangerous thing. Uh, uh, I mean, gulls are predators of, of shore crabs, and a shore crab that's scuttling around on, on the shore uh, will, will not survive very long. So that, that that's why they 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 hide uh, during daylight and and low tide. So you you can show again and again that the, the animals will give up. Uh, favoured resources. Uh, I, 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 I have done experiments with, with hermit crabs, not certainly not a commercial species, but hermit crabs, where I devised a, a method of uh, giving them small electric shocks within their shell. And again, if, if the shock was powerful enough, it, it, it would cause the crab to get out of that shell, at, at least, for, at least for, a, you know, for a minute or so. It would get out of the shell, and hermit crabs just do not get out of the shell. They only they only do it for two things. But one is uh, if if they, they they've got a better shell and they're moving into that shell, uh, and, and they're out of the shell for half a second, they're very quick when they do that transfer. And the other one is when they're mating, and and even then they they hold on to the shell with the very ends of their abdomen and transfer some sperm, and then, and then they're back into the shell. Hermit crabs do not get out of shells, but they will to escape from an, an electric shock. I, 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 does your research also show that a hermit crab, I'm sure it's yours, that a hermit crab, would you damage shells, and they would actually prefer a damaged second-rate shell as a home than a shell that administers pain? Was it you that discovered that? I think that's describing an experiment that I did, but describing it very badly. And I've seen that in in in, in, in print. Someone else has written about my work and got it wrong. Um, tell me what's bad. Tell me tell me what <laughs> the actual results of that test were. Tell me about it. Well, what 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 we did was to give some hermit crabs small electric shots within their shell on, on the abdomen, and others were in identical shells which were wired up the same way but they didn't get shocks. And then some time later, up to 24 hours later, we presented those crabs with brand new empty shells. And the ones, hermit crabs will investigate shells. They, 
it's, it's the big thing in their life is, is to find another shell to investigate. But those uh, that have been shot move really quickly to this new shell and they hardly bother with feeling inside and feeling on the outside and they jump into it. They, they, they act as if they have really devalued the shell uh, that, that, that they're in, uh, having received an electric shock, that it's really changed their behavior in the long term. And uh, that, that, again, is an activity, I think, that, sh- that uh, shows that, that their behavior is consistent with the idea of pain. It has changed their motivation in the long term, and that's what pain is all about, changing motivation. I was just going to say that uh, there is actually a basic regulation in place already, the fact that fish, not only are fishermen not allowed to take the toes, the claws off shelf and throw them back into the sea, the merchant that buys them, he's not allowed to do the same on shore with the oh, live crab. He's, he's not allowed yeah. to do that. That's, that's against the law, in fact. That's grand. Yeah, well, I, I, I would support that. Yeah, Although again, so, I, I, so do I. And Jim, are there are there restaurants in the UK or in, or anywhere at the moment that offer electrocuted lobsters? Is there any consumer demand for that just now? Are chefs pushing that? I don't know of any kitchen that has one, and I don't know of any demand there is by the public for them. So I'm sorry, I, but. Uh, uh, but I, uh, saying that, at a, re- at a, re- a seafood restaurant for 20 years, and anybody that asked me and challenged me, I was perfectly comfortable to speak to them and tell them my my views on it. Uh, and uh, I think it's just good, as I say, in, in live farm animals, it's good animal husbandry. I think it's the exact same thing we... It's a it's a live animal, and another thing he used to say: there's not nobody is allowed, nobody in this world is allowed to mistreat or be cruel to another a animal or person. I I think we've had a good uh, good discussion. I think we got right to the heart of it and covered everything that, especially there's a lot of fishermen listening to the podcast, and I think what's most reassuring is that you're not one of these extremist scientists who comes along telling us all how we should be behaving. You cut short from that and present the evidence as it stands and you let the the politics and the social impact of that stand on its own. And I thank you for that because I think it's important to draw a line between the two. Here are the facts and here's how we now respond to it. I would go one step more than that, Bob. I would say you were very, very careful to make sure you weren't treated, you weren't doing that. So I think you've maybe been challenged before on that one. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's, it's hard enough to be a scientist, to be a scientist and a legislator. <laughs> I mean, what, some, sometimes when, when philosophers start talking and legislators start talking, it's, it's a different world. And, uh, it's certainly been interesting for me has been my life and with the catching and cooking and all 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 through my life and it's almost listening to you bob i don't know if you felt the same but we were almost as one <laughs> well I, I i've it's been a great pleasure talking to you and, and it's a great pleasure to get your views on the topic as well Well, thanks for joining us, Robert. And if you have another paper coming out in the next year or two, we'd love to have you back on and we can discuss, especially if you do research into banded lobsters. That would be fascinating. I'm the same age as Chairman, although I still write occasionally. I'm not doing any experiments now. Well, in that case, we'll thank you for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Seafood Matters Podcast. You can subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can join me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook by searching for at Seafood Matters Podcast. If you have any questions or episode suggestions, please email me at jim at seafoodmatterspodcast.com or get in touch 
with me through my website, www.seafoodmatterspodcast.com. Mm-hmm.